on the next exciting episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. It seems clear that my life is to end in the late 19th century. Data faces a shocking fate. We've lost him. And embarks on a mission of no return. I'm not willing to accept that he's dead and just leave it at that. Now, to bring him back alive. My God. The crew must cross a chilling gateway into terror. Data! Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation. Strange new takes. My name is Notch Karnik, and with me picking up massive triolic wave activity on the surface are Adam Bowen and Emily Bowen Marler. And yeah, as Notch said, this is Strange New Takes. We're excited to continue our time travel series. I think we've done one other episode. This is our second podcast episode covering Star Trek episodes dealing with time travel. Um, I was going to tell you all a time travel joke, but it turns out none of you liked it. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) oh, I'm so glad that got some laughs. laughs) Today we're going to recap Time's Arrow. That's the two-parter that ended season five and started season six of The Next Generation. Uh, and please remember to follow us on social media. That's at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, tell your human friends in the real world about the podcast as well. And be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Like, all of those things together, like, that's what gives Google the juice and Apple the juice to, like, to give us some Apple juice. And I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but it's how people find our podcast, and it's great. So I, I discovered recently that I, we are very antiquated. Uh, people listening to this podcast will probably be like, they are probably podcasting from 1893 because they keep saying iTunes instead of Apple Podcasts, which is what it's called these days. I haven't updated our notes, but uh, I realized this only this week. So uh, <laughs> in my defense, I don't use Apple products very much. So hmm. anyway, uh, so yeah. So if you can't give us a five-star rating on iTunes, it's probably because most people use Apple Podcasts these days. So go and give us a five-star rating on that. Also, these two episodes were broadcast in June and September of 1992. I'm hoping that in the intervening 29 years, you've had a chance to watch both of them. If not, you might want to do that before we spoil them for you. Also, as a heads up, we do talk a lot about other Star Trek stuff, so you're probably going to get spoiled on some Star Trek things as well if you listen to our podcast. Hopefully you enjoy that sort of thing just like we do. But if you don't, this is your chance to stop. All right. With that, we always start our shows with our strange new takes. Which of you has some strange new takes for me? You know, I've been thinking this week, um, I'm not going to get into too much detail, but um, I was interviewed by a local news station about a local college suing the Biden administration because they wanted to discriminate against some people. Um, And... Uh, it's, I find it interesting that people who disagree with me on things, then want to go like attack me on social media, like go find posts that have me in them and call me names or whatever. I've never done that to a person that I've disagreed with before. I just find it interesting. Like, like I don't seek out people's workplace Facebook pages and, and go smear them on their Facebook pages. And so I, I just, 
I just wish people wouldn't do that to me. <laughs> so treat people the way you would like to be treated, people. Anyway, there's my strange new take about life. My strange Oof. new take about this episode is... It's just really... Well, it's not really a strange new take, but every time I see episodes like this, I'm just struck at how it's like just impossible to make a fake of a person's head. Like it just doesn't, it just doesn't, doesn't, I mean, you know, they have the benefit of the fact that, you know, there's a certain color makeup that Brent Spiner wears to be data. So they just make the head have that same makeup, but it's just like, it's just a little weird. It's like uncanny. No, it's not uncanny Valley because it totally looks different. So anyway, isn't uncanny Valley when it's like. A it's like a little, a little too close. Yeah, yeah, it, a little too close. It's it's not. They, they don't even get this right in the movies. Like I and, and I feel I like even in Picard, it looks weird. Like haven't we figured it out by now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. Same thing with Picard. I thought it looked really off in Picard. It almost was better in this one than it was in Picard. But I, just I mean, yeah. I just thought he was like super method and like had himself chopped up for the role. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Where is your commitment, Brent Spiner? Like, <laughs> uh, Well, my strange new take, I'll, I'll tee off your social media complaining and do some social media complaining of my own, which is there's a famous tweet by at Toilet Gun on Twitter. It got over <laughs> 14,000 likes, which says Twitter is 90% someone imagining a guy tricking themselves into believing that guy exists and then getting mad about it. And I agree. Uh, social media has made it really easy to get very emotional about things. And uh, that's a good thing because it helps us collect and focus our collective attention on things that need to change. However, there's also a sense where someone says like, I think X and everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense to me and I'm angry about it now. And people don't go being like, hmm, I should look into X and seeing if X is actually not X or Y or Z or what. Like, And so uh, I would encourage you, dear listener, when you get mad about something, channel that emotion into just doing a few cursory checks on the information that you're getting very upset about because you might do, be doing a negativity spiral when you really don't. And that might prevent you from getting mad at people like Emily for no freaking reason and then using your social media to be like, blah, 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 Emily, blah, 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 Like all of that could go away if we just checked on stuff instead of... Uh, just letting our emotions drive all our social media. Uh, speaking of which, I'm going to let my emotions drive my, um, my my take here. I really like this episode. This episode just was like, it's fun. You know, it's like Mark Twain coming in and being like, hello, I'm Scroogey and Mark Twain. And then they're back in the past. And it's just like a fun, like not quite a Western, but it feels a little bit like a Western. And it's just, it's just very silly and fun. And I enjoyed that very much. It was like, I feel like this episode, I just turned off the story in my head and I just went along for the ride and it was terrific. <laughs> like, I really just, it's very, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like Star Trek doesn't like push that many emotions. And some of them were complex too, as we'll talk about later. Yeah, and I, I will continue teeing off. I, I don't play enough golf, so I don't really know if that makes sense. <laughs> but so uh, for my own social media feelings is I... I, I think that the world would be a better place if more people treated social media the way that I do, which uh, the purpose of it is to look at pictures of chickens and other little birds and then yes. send them to people. And if like 
there's very few times where I get angry about a thing when I'm, that's just all I'm doing. And uh, I, I look at chickens for like two minutes and then I turn it off and then I don't worry about it anymore. So, uh, may, but still make sure to like us on social media while you're doing that. So, <laughs> yeah, it is essential you, that you get yeah. emotional when talking to us on social media. Yeah. Th- so th- as long as you're doing both those things, then, then we're okay. Um, for, uh, for the episode, I, I I I I think I'm I'm exactly in line with what uh, Notch is talking about here. So it's that's that's an uninteresting take though, um, and uh, I think instead uh, I'm just gonna go with uh, man. Those aliens had a really like awkward. I, I I'm glad they were out of phase because they're they they looked so weird and kind of dumb and. It was better when they're like a little bit blurry and we don't see that they're like kind of weird Michelin men with like beams kind of coming out of their foreheads or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. They were a little strange. I'm going to need your help later on to actually understand some of that because I think I turned off my brain on the plot a little too much. Uh, and so I just forgot <laughs> essential pieces of it uh, or didn't pick them up rather. All right, with that, let us jump in. As Emily told us earlier, this was the 26th episode, the finale of season five. It was also the first episode of season six. They're uh, a two-parter. First aired 15 June 1992 and 21st September 1992. The two directors are the same director, Les Landau. Uh, The... Stories were both written by two different sets of writers. The teleplay on part one was Joe Minoski and Michael Piller. The story was by Joe Minoski. In part two, the teleplay was written by Jerry Taylor. As we'll talk about, she made, did make some changes in the script writing uh, style, while the story still was has a Joe Minoski credit on it. As you will remember, this is also right when Deep Space Nine started, so I would imagine some of the, the changes in, in the writing stuff were also influenced by some of the things happening with deep space nine in fact this episode was written as a cliffhanger and uh finale specifically to allay concerns that tng wouldn't be the focus of the star trek franchise they wanted initially the the writers of tng didn't want a cliffhanger but they decided that because of all the attention ds9 was getting and the rumors that tng would be shutting down we wanted to send a message that this show was alive and well and continuing to grow that's a direct quote from michael pillar and that, that's what I think about when I think about how they they ended that one with the really bizarre like traveling into time to have go after a snake thing like I I, I imagine everyone was just like on their on the edge of their seats <laughs> waiting for that one. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like I need to see Mark Twain again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we have we have two episode summaries from Memory Alpha here real quick. An engineering team finds evidence of an alien presence on Earth in a 19th century San Francisco data severed head buried 500 years ago is that evidence. Uh, trapped in the 19th century San Francisco, the crew of the Enterprise must locate data and prevent his death while stopping the Davidians from destroying Earth's history. So... Yeah, those, that was a summary. I think that's fairly good. I don't, I don't see a need to add anything to it. And I think the best way maybe to go through the story is talk about each of these acts and, and talk about how, how they kind of made us feel. And I think the first one we've got to talk about is the setup and the scenes on the Enterprise D. Um, and it is, it is a very shocking open to the episode. Like, it's Data's head. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah, super shocking. 
And you're like, how are they going to, how are they going to resolve this one? (laughs) And it's funny because I'd forgotten how they, how they fixed it. You know, as I was watching it, I was like, how is it? Because I mean, obviously I knew that Data wasn't going to remain dead. (laughs) But I was like, hmm, I don't, I don't remember how they're going to get around this. Well, and I, I guess what, what I liked about it is that it, uh, they actually like used the plot point and it, it didn't immediately become like everyone all in on like trying to prevent this. Like there was actually a, a mix of feelings that we explored through this episode. So I like the thing that I, I was um, what, what made me really appreciate how this episode was going is just like right away we're, we're delving deep into like uh, some people are freaked out about this and data is kind of, comforted by the idea that he's gonna die and it's uh i i just think that's a really i don't know that's 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 my the quintessential thing that i like want from especially tng star trek is like let's talk about like what it is to to be uh Mm -hmm. with data and like have have some like discussions about like what makes you more or less human or or things like that um so yeah. this this episode opens with those two tough, like very TNG style discussions where they jump into talking a really tough topic, but with really clear language. Like especially mm-hmm. that Data Jordy conversation is really mm-hmm. deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's so like I was thinking that was you know when when Jordy's like, "Don't you want to talk about this?" and Data's like, "No, I'm you know I'm fine." do you want to talk about it? You know? And I just, yeah. you know, it's just clear that that, like the whole, yes, data, that's why I'm bringing it up. <laughs> like, like this is really troubling. And I, I really appreciate how they picked up on this. Now, maybe it's in other episodes of TNG and I'm just focusing on it for this one because it's what we watched this week. But I really like how they picked up on this theme for Picard, um, yeah. you know, and just kind of, kind of gave data what he wanted. Um, Cause you know, I, I mean, I guess he kind of gets it in Nemesis, but we can, you know, what? Nemesis. Well, and they, but they also, <laughs> as we talked about uh, with Picard, like they they kind of undercut it in in when he just downloads himself into B four. So we like we yes. get Data's death, but then we're sort of like reinforced, but like he's not really human or whatever. Right, right, and right. So we're like, I, I, I don't know. So I I, uh, I I'm I'm with you there that that this episode really sets up that kind of like data is not going to complete his journey un- until data dies. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the other thing that I like about what these discussions do to the characters is that no one ever like clearly resolves like how they feel about it. Like Data's like not a helpful person to talk to about your feelings. So uh, Jordy like is kind of left feeling like, okay, well I still don't really know how to feel about this. And Riker, Riker is struggling with it a lot too. Um, there's a, there's like a great moment with, with Riker and Troy where, uh, she's, she explains to him that he, that he's angry. He says, I'm not angry. Yes, I'm angry. (laughs) And it, but it's just like, there's lots of, um, like emotions flying around in this episode that, uh, I just, I, I, I don't know. I feel like they, they really took this and, and used it really well throughout it. I, I sorry, I just want to jump in on the Picard thing, which is that the, I think that was my primary reflection during the first episode. I just it just floored me about how much more of Picard makes sense given this. In mm. fact, I would have I would argue that it's 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 criminal that the Picard people didn't put this scene like as a flashback somewhere. 
Because, like, the whole of the final episode of Picard, which, by the way, Akiva Goldsman has come out and now said that it wasn't quite all that. Like, they could have done better. Um, I think that that final scene in the, like, in the, in Data's new, new positronic net mm-hmm. would have been so much more profound if we just mm-hmm. seen this scene with Jordy before that in, like, a previously on Star Trek. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not like we we didn't have callbacks to things, but it, I, I feel like... I mean, maybe it gets to, to what Emily has been talking about, where where Picard seems to be centered around, like, the idea that Picard and Data are the ones that have, like, this deep relationship. Mm-hmm. But, like, honestly, I, I, that's not that's not the closest uh, group of people that, that we see. Like, the better relationships are, are Jordy and Data. And in this episode, like Emily was talking about, like, we have lots of great Riker and Data stuff. And Riker is, like, clearly... Uh, trying to process a, a lot of what's going to be happening to his friend. And it's, yeah. and, and we're, we sort of reinforce that Picard is kind of like, does it, like, he, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't seem to care that much right. uh, in the, like it, he, he at least like wants to prevent data's death, but it, mm-hmm. uh, it, maybe it's still in that measure of a man level of like, it would be inconvenient to lose commander data rather than um, he'd be losing a friend. Well, the other thing I, uh, this is like not delving into the emotions as much, but it's uh, something that happens in this scene. It, actually, it's not the scene with between uh, Jordy and Data. It's the scene between Roy and Triker. Roy and Triker? <laughs> <laughs> Commander Triker. Troy? <laughs> Troy and Riker. Let's try that again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Okay, I just need more sleep is what I need. But um, Troy and Riker. I love the um, impression that Troy does of Data, and it reminds me oh, so yeah. much of the. Um, I, I don't this. I can't remember what season it is, but the episode where there's the the little boy. I think he's played by Gabriel Damon, but he's it's a little boy whose mother gets killed on an away mission, and then he kind of you know bonds with data a little bit and he starts to act like data and so he answers all the questions like you know just the way data does and it reminded me the way uh marina Sirtis played that scene it reminded me of that little boy doing an impression of data it was just really sweet so i liked that well and and, and also great that like uh because like they data like walks it on them while she's like i can't yes. remember if it's exactly during the impression mm-hmm. or but it's like it's that conversation and he he remarks how, how everyone's is stopping talking when he's walking into a room, and she she gives a, a similar like explanation that you would give to a kid, where it's like, and no data, and that's not very nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But then I was thinking, but it but it's not that they were saying anything bad about him, you know. No. So I thought it was interesting that that's how she. Oh, it's not very nice that people are doing it. And I'm like, no, it's but it's happening because people love you, and yeah. they are really sad to see that you're gonna die, and that's well, and, not something they ever considered really before. And so yeah, and and the other thing that's that's great about that that interaction is is uh, I, I think it's. Uh, Riker explains to like the, his explanation to Data is like it's because our uh, I can't remember exact like our inputs have our, our out inputs have gotten accustomed to your outputs yes. or something like that. Well, and Data's so... like, I understand. I, I, I <laughs> yes, yes. Like I love you too, man. <laughs> yep, yep, well, yep. So so that that's actually a direct quote from Data speaking to Ishara Yar in the fourth season mm-hmm. episode Legacy, where he says, As mm-hmm. I experience certain sensory in- input patterns, my mental pathways become accustomed to them. These inputs are eventually are anticipated and even missed when absent. And it's just such an elegant 
mm-hmm. way to translate friendship into sci-fi. I love it. That was incredible dialogue. And I, I, yeah. I, I want to go see who wrote that episode. By the way, speaking of episodes, Emily, the one you're referring to is, uh, is called Hero Worship, which is the 11th episode of the fifth season. Uh, oh, it's the same with season. The boy. Yeah, with the oh, little gosh. boy. And then the one with Ishara Yar is a sixth season of the fourth or sixth episode of the fourth season called Legacy, as I mentioned before, and it was written by Joe Minoski. So it makes sense that the the mm. goat would make it into this episode as well. The Gabriel Damon one's a different episode. But yeah, that's I now I need to figure out which episode Gabriel Damon's in now. Um so m- moving on, I mean, it, it's I think the the heaviest scenes in this two-parter are in that first act, mm-hmm. basically the on bonding. board the Enterprise, right? Sorry. The bonding, which then I think it sets up the stakes for what comes next quite elegantly, um, which is they go down to the planet, they find the phase variants. I was I was like ding drink after like hearing that same <laughs> phrase in Timeless, and uh, I mean. That whole sequence is just filled to the brim with techno babble. I mean, here's Ridiculous. how. It, yeah, it was just like Picard being like, uh, no, Riker being like, blah, 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 techno babble is what we're seeing. And then Jordy being like, actually, sir, it's techno babble, techno babble, techno babble. <laughs> and then Riker being like, techno babble, techno babble. And it's just like, keep, keeps going back and forth. And it's just impenetrable. I did not understand a thing. Uh-uh. Uh, except that I was they, trying. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, I was trying to notate it while I was walking on the treadmill. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. I can't, I can't even do it. So. Yeah. I, I mean, all we really needed was like, oh, we have a problem. Data being like, I can fix it. So now I have to go down there. Too bad, Picard. I'm going to go like end my life. Um, and that's what ends up happening. Uh, we have the the scene where he slowly phases out, which is again... I love it. That's like peak sci-fi. It's such like, you know, oh no, what's happening to him? He's like slowly walking away. It's like it's like that scene from First Contact where they're like the 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 fleet has indicated that they're engaging the Borg and they're like strip patch into Starfleet frequency blah 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 and all and your characters are just like listening and it's all on their faces like you 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 don't see any of the action. The emotion is just on what you're hearing and how the character is responding to it. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I uh, what what I I think what I appreciated about the techno pebble in this episode, uh, which maybe that's I don't know that I usually appreciate the techno pebble, but I I feel like the the message of it like they wanted to put in like just fill you straight up with techno babble so that you knew that you're not supposed to pay that much attention like that's not the purpose of this episode like so like we're just gonna make up a bunch of bullshit and like if you just accept it we're gonna like it's gonna be fun so so just like. Like turn off your brain a little bit. Like it, there's a, here's a cool concept. Like like I I love, like the, the the whole idea about of being like, out of phase in time, that sounds incredible and super cool. It makes absolutely no sense. But like just the idea that like yeah you wouldn't know if someone is in the same space as you, but like, a second in the future or whatever the hell they're talking about. Like it's, uh. I don't know. It, it, it th- this episode was was yeah, like filled with lots of like classic like interesting sci-fi like concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh and I I I don't know. I I didn't worry too much that they didn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could literally just like 
Uh, same here, right? Like I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't bother trying to make sense of it. I was just like, okay, it's some shit I don't understand, <laughs> and it lets them go back in the past. Cool. <laughs> yep. This is great. They need a big computer, and data is that big computer that helps them use the thing that I don't understand. Great. <laughs> <laughs> well, did so? Do they? Does data just like accidentally get sucked back into the vortex? Or does he do like the rest of the crew does later where they like, ooh, an opening. <laughs> Let's go through it. You know, like they don't really because I mean, from our perspective, it seems like data somehow accidentally ends up, you know, getting transported back. But I wonder if data did it deliberately just like the rest of the crew did. It, it sounded like like it, it like it was an unexpected event when it happened. I was just wondering if yeah. data was like standing right next to it. And so like the explosion or whatever appeared and he just sort of like fell into it because he was like right there so what he says is that there are two davidians approaching the ophidian and they release it a loud noise interrupts the communication and data reports through much interference that he is caught in the after effects of a temporal distortion that was opened by the creatures so it is an accident that he okay. that he gets uh knocked through the the to the past just like they are mm -hmm. okay so now this is the point at which i know we get it revealed much later in the episode what are these aliens trying to do i don't understand i don't understand what what like because they the, there was a theory that they're trying to hurt the humans but then the aliens like no we're not like i don't what was no, it i i think they are trying i think they want to eat the humans and they think that that's okay for them to do. Like, I, 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 I think it's literally just they want to, like, harvest their souls or something, uh, which is, like, their, their phase variance energy or whatever. Uh, and then it's turned into triolic something something, and uh, it, it is tasty. So I'm jumping a little bit, but do they... So, you know, I kind of thought, you know, so the front page of the paper, when Data picks up the paper, once he's in San Francisco, it says, you know, massive cholera outbreak or, you know, mm -hmm. something about the cholera outbreak. Um, but uh -huh. then you have Beverly saying something later, like, I don't understand why all these people are dying of cholera. It's not that virulent, right. which I thought was interesting because I've definitely heard of cholera being, you know, going through populations and causing problems. But anyway, um, so then are they going to a time period where they think it won't, no one will notice because there's a lot of people dying from this disease yes, yep. or are they, but here's the thing I couldn't, I wasn't quite sure. So they, that one dude, the 49er, they take his soul before he dies. That's why he dies. Cause they take away that mm -hmm. energy, but it almost comes across that they've been able to take that energy from those who have already died. Like they go to the cholera ward I, but maybe right. I was misunderstanding no, I, when so they I were think checking the, the cause. Oh, no, maybe it was because they were checking the cause of death and it right. wasn't cholera. It was because they're... They were, they were able to hide their energy stealing because everybody who would be asked would just say, oh, yeah, these guys died of cholera because they're either in the cholera ward or we saw this dude coughing a lot. So he's... I mean, it's obviously cholera. Which, by the way, that I like... It like actually hurt me on an emotional level to see that old man suffer and die. Like that was yeah. very sad. Like mm -hmm. genuinely sad. It's like um there's a few moments where I feel like Star Trek just does like small things with side characters and it feel I feel like it hits me more than it hit it was supposed mm -hmm. to necessarily. Well, it was really but sad. I I I I, th I think that was 
I think they were trying to make that that sort of an emotional moment. And it, mm-hmm. if he felt like like and actually a lot of this episode feels like maybe a redoing of the uh the way things are in, in Guardian of Forever, where like we have the 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 guy like the 49er, he like maybe we're we're thinking that he's like a comic relief type character a bit, but uh kind of like how they have it in um in Guardian of Forever. But it's it becomes clear like as you're talking to like, no, this like this guy has it really hard and, and like we're like we're, we're we're like there for the end of his life mm-hmm. and it uh because like there's that moment in, in guardian of forever where or a city on the edge of forever so yeah. I'm, I'm using the wrong name mm-hmm. where the guy like accident like does a whoopsie and blows himself oh, up yeah. and yeah. like and i like i felt like that was supposed to be hilarious but uh i, I don't know like so i i appreciated that um they didn't like he wasn't just a sideshow kind of like joke character or something here. Yeah. Well, um, I think the other thing we should mention real quick while we're talking about this actor, this character was that he was played by Jack Murdoch who passed away in 2001 himself at the age of 78 had been in Rain Man among other movies. So uh, this, these two episodes are filled with little side characters who, which by the way, as soon as data goes into San Francisco, one of the first characters he meets is uh, Frederick LaRoque, uh, the <laughs> poker hustler played by Marka Alemo, who plays yeah. Del Duckett on uh, DS9. This is his that final, was one of... final appearance oh, on TNG. I was going to say that I was watching it and I'm like, is that Marco Limo? I think that's Marco Limo. And I'm like grabbing my, cause sometimes it's hard to tell just with, you know, the way they have shadows and stuff. And so I grab IMDB, you know, and I yeah. check it. I'm like, yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I was, I was thinking, in the past. I, I was just thinking, uh, he has, he has a bit of a, um, Billy Bob Thornton look to him or something. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if, uh, later on that, that was like his, his, uh, vision for how he should uh look <laughs> when he's just in shows or whatever isn't it amazing i don't mean any shade to marco limo but isn't it amazing but <laughs> isn't it amazing he's not like a super majestic looking person like you know he's just kind of like mm. but as goldicott like the way i don't know there's something about the way just the way he carries himself when he is Oh, Goldie for sure. Pot, that's he... just totally different from the way whenever you see him not in that makeup and doing some other role. I mean, it's just yeah. It's... He he's. I I feel like that that's like an incredible bit of like uh, character creature design uh, with mm-hmm. with that because they they like the all of the angles that are there on Cardassian like uniforms and like their body structure like perfectly fits him and just like yeah it, it, he he's yeah. he's just magnetic in that role. Yeah, he is. Well, before we go to the break, I want to ask y'all, since it comes up at about this point in the show, what do y'all think about the time travel mechanics of this episode? This is something that throughout this time travel series we're going to be doing. We're going to be asking each other how we feel about the the method that this episode uses for time travel. What would y'all think? Yeah, I I, I really like it. Um, so I, I got the sense that for the most part, this episode is taking the view that... Um, sort of like time is a crystal where like they're like the moment we see data's data's head it's not immediately obvious like oh let's go back into the past and change this so it never happens it's instead like data just accepts like that history's written like i'm going to die at at some point 
And really, if you watch the entire episode, it's not clear that they do ever change the past. Uh, because we, all of the all of the things that that like were recorded as happening did end up happening, and yep. it's just mm-hmm. that they made sure not to blow up the past, I guess. But um, it's I, I I I really liked it, and and I feel like um, what's nice about it is that like having time be a crystal in like there's a lot of great um, stories that are that are that are done this way, uh, where it's it 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 sets up like. Into really interesting and satisfying loops for like like things that are constantly recurring or like a, a some sometimes shows will have like a they'll introduce an object that like only exists in the time loop or things like that so like there's cool sci-fi stuff that you can do and the but it also it wraps up paradoxes really nicely because it, there's not the question of like well okay if we went back in time could we just like keep doing that and then like get better and better it's like if we can't actually affect it, it's more just we get to travel there and then accidentally we cause our own like reality. And it's mm-hmm. um I, I feel like when when shows try to stray away from that, which is like I think Star Trek probably has like 17 or more different ways that time works each in each and each episode is like completely different. But um I feel like alternatives to this where we're not dealing with time in that way it's you you kind of have to introduce weird paradoxes um and so what's what's just nice about this is that we like even though the episode kind of doesn't make sense in a lot of ways and like there's lots of crazy techno babble all over the place i feel like the uh this concept at least weirdly allows us to have like a more logically consistent story or time travel story uh than you might be expecting from this episode. Well, this is, it's kind of like a fulfillment. Like that's the way it's not, they don't have to go do something special in order to fix something or, so that's, that's definitely a unique, um, that that's not often how they do uh, time travel. You know, it's usually about, Oh, we have to go back and change something or, or someone went back, you know, there's, there's episodes in Voyager and, and the city on the edge of forever is an example of this where someone someone accidentally ends up back in time and then introduces an element that totally screws everything up in Mm -hmm. the future or, you know, so, um, so that, that was kind of a nice, uh, departure the way they did this episode. It wasn't, it wasn't about that really. And I yeah. also, you know, they don't have to do a whole lot of figuring out how to go back in time. The, the aliens do that for them. You know, like they just have, yeah, to, be, yeah. you know, just have and, to be in the right place at the right time. And and, and, right. and I guess that, that's also a nice thing where uh, because it's just these random aliens who then get killed, there's not as much of the like, well, but why don't they just use this to solve all their other problems? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. And I, I think the other thing is when, when she was writing the second part of this two-parter, Jerry Taylor specifically decided to cut down on the techno babble, And I really appreciated that choice because I think with how much there is, I'm able to just tune it out and be like, it's fine. Like, like mm-hmm. you said, the aliens are doing it, like whatever. And, but I think if in the second episode that they had spent a bunch of time like talking about the device data's built and why it wasn't exactly right or like we need this alloy of that metal and you know whatever I think that would have just gotten in the way of the fun so yeah. I think I think the level of I think Jerry Taylor's choice of reducing the level of technobabble really I think came in clutch with the mechanics of the time travel mm-hmm. as well 
So, all right, with that, let's take a break here. We'll come back with more strange new takes. So, do you want to talk about it? Are you referring to the foreknowledge of my death? Yeah. I have no particular desire to discuss the matter. Do you need to talk about it? Yeah. Ah. Why? Dana, this has got to bother you a little. On the contrary, I find it rather comforting. Comforting? I have often wondered about my own mortality as I have seen others around me age. Until now, it has been theoretically possible that I would live an unlimited period of time. And although some might find this attractive, to me it only reinforces the fact that I am artificial. I never knew how tough this must be for you. Tough? As in difficult? Knowing that you would outlive all your friends. I expected to make new friends. True. And then to outlive them as well. Now that you know that you might not? It provides a sense of completion to my future. In a way, I am not that different from anyone else. I can now look forward to death. Never thought of it that way. One might also conclude that it brings me one step closer to being human. I am mortal. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We're talking about Time's Arrow. Um, thinking about other things that could be named Time's Arrow. The um, school name for like some sort of spaceship, I think. Uh, maybe a movie starring John Travolta and uh, actor whose name is uh, Christian Slater. <laughs> Which you talked about in reference in another episode recently. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's also the name of a book, actually. Uh, I didn't see who wrote it, but there is a book named no. Times Arrow out there as well. But anyway, getting back to talk about the episode. We just talked about how they'd got data had gone back in the past and he won a bunch he he won a bunch of money from poker. I I'm glad we didn't get like 30 minutes of data like scrounging money. It was just like boom boom boom. I love that it was poker. What a great callback. Um and then he becomes pals with a bellboy and meets Guinan and Mark Twain. How'd y'all, do y'all remember how y'all felt when y'all first saw this episode and were like, what? I, I thought mean, I th that he, oh, go ahead. No, I, I think I was three when I first saw this episode. Probably, <laughs> so I, I do not remember that. Okay, all right. Well, I love how like I love how he walks in to go because he doesn't realize he of course Data's thinking that he's meeting that somehow Guinan's come back to help him like oh, to yeah, get yeah. him you know so so when he goes into he's like you know you know what we're talking oh my gosh the dog is going crazy of course sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> so you know he's like from the Enterprise right you know she totally is not like a clipper ship. Yeah. Spaceship. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Let me go and talk to you. But I, I thought that was really fun. You know, like just yeah. how they're kind of trying to figure out who, how they know each other. But then I thought it was great. Um, they kind of do the reminder about what species um, Guinan is because she talks about, you know, tell my father I'm, li you know, I'm still listening. I'm still. So I just thought that was kind of a nice touch. I'm going to uh, be back in a second after I take care of this dog. You all go on without me. <laughs> Um, I also appreciated that they, again, I feel like the writing of this episode is sophisticated and that they know the viewers with them. They don't have data and guy and be like, oh, so you don't, you're from the past and I, you don't know I'm here. Data just yeah. like catches on and moves on with the conversation and it's all just done. Yeah. And, and, and I, I feel like maybe some of that comes from, 
like Star Trek has done episodes like this before. Like we've we've gone back into the past. We like go to 20th century, 19th century, whatever. We do it constantly. And and we so therefore like we we don't need to see like how did he get his clothes or like or whatever. And they they like uh, we get a, maybe a bit more of how data gets everything started, like with the poker table, but we don't we don't need to like delve deep into like how he got hired in some sort of thing, like they they did in uh, City on the Edge of Forever. And I, and I similarly I like how when we send the second group of people in, mm-hmm. like we don't even bother like uh, seeing them show up and like uh oh I'm wearing space pajamas and whatever. Like uh, we just. Like, they already have an apartment. They've already swindled some lady into thinking that they're definitely going to pay for their rent and whatnot. Um, and I, I just, I feel like, uh, yeah, the, the writers are just sort of, uh, they're trusting that we we know this episode of Star Trek and that it's, like, mm-hmm. it's okay to just, like, bring us along. <laughs> right. And I think for me, it's an inch, I, I reflect, I, I watched this, Oh gosh, maybe about ten years ago for the first time. I knew it had happened because I'd seen like Mark Twain's and TNG. <laughs> but when it, when it happened, I was just like, "Oh, what? Who is this random dude? And like, why is he here? Like, why did they pick Mark Twain?" And then it kind of like weirdly makes sense. Like, it's kind of charming. After like initially, it's just kind of like, "What is this dude doing here? Why is he talking about like the Earth going around the sun and all this like random crap?" And then. I don't know. It it just kind of works. He doesn't. He's not a very complex character in this episode. Like there's not like a lot of like depth to his characterization. <laughs> um, which, by the way, I I think this is the appropriate men- time to to kind of mention that the person playing uh, uh, Samuel Clemens, aka Mark Twain, is Jerry Harden, who's been also in another episode of TNG and in the episode and the episode of Voyager. He enjoyed playing Mark Twain so much that he created a one-man show featuring uh, himself as Mark Twain and, and took it on the road. So um, <laughs> it's it's pretty neat uh, that he that he got that like the, the, this episode kicked off like a kind of an acting revival for him. Yeah, that, that's such a that's so such a weird like reason to to go to go do that. I love it. <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's kind of like you know. I feel like it works. It works in a very funny way. It could have gone horribly wrong, but it just mm-hmm. works. And um, him eavesdropping on the conversation in this episode, and you don't really know how that's going to go by the time the episode ends. Um, I, I think it was it was the right note to end this episode on. We don't need to know that he's like, feels one way or another yet. Yeah, and and I, th- I think it, it's, it is interesting also using a like a historical figure that's super well known as the uh like sort sort of antagonist sometimes or at least the one who's going to screw things up because we're we're also worried about like wait what what happens if Mark Twain like knows about the 24th century like do do we need to do something about that <laughs> right yeah and uh yeah so i i i just i i i think it it just it underlines that like this this episode is only here for fun and like great <laughs> Right, right, exactly. It's just kind of like, you know, the writers were like, let's have one of our characters go back in time and meet Mark Twain. And they did exactly that. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely like ridiculous. The, the uh, whole purpose of the episode. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, I mean, it's it's it should also be noted that this episode takes place after Mark Twain has written his most famous works but that he writes a lot more after 1893 as well 
Yeah, and it, and it explains why he uh, wrote the um, that book that that's all about Davidia uh, too. So you you know like it, it's it, it it's a nice way to sort of tie everything together. Like it was a book that was kind of off uh, off the rails a little bit. So I, I, I like that they tied that in. It's 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 uh, it's lucky that he died so long ago. Otherwise, the TNG writers would have to uh, pay him royalties because. They're really just. They wrote the series TNG based on all of his mem- Mark Twain's memories of from yeah. that Davidia two book. So yeah, and and the the, the book that I'm talking about, uh, just so that you you can look it up later, is Tom Sawyer and the Residents of Davidia two. So uh, <laughs> you you can probably find it. I mean, like we said, it's probably for free on the internet now. So uh, you you don't necessarily need to go over to like. <laughs> Barnes and Noble and get it or your local bookstore. bookstore. Don't, Don't say Borders. Borders is gone. Barnes and Noble is still around. Barnes and Noble is still here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, moving on. This is kind of where the the first episode ends, and I mentioned the the change in the writing of the the episode. And one of the things that the writers of the second episode in this two-parter felt were that the writers of the first part had kind of written themselves into a corner and they didn't really know what to do next, how to get out of it and, um, and, and resolve this episode. So it's kind of stunning about just how well I think it comes together. Despite that, it also (laughs) is surprising how many first parts of a cliffhanger are written without the second part being like fully fleshed out. Like season um, four of West wing. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's a big one. Well, that's and that's why. I was, so when I saw that this one was, they felt like they wrote themselves in a corner. I felt like they pulled themselves out of it really well because I didn't really feel like they wrote themselves into a corner. Right. Um. Just because of how, it, but one that did write themselves into a corner, which I think he did it on purpose, was the what the, <laughs> the so, episode so, of season four of The West Wing. So. I mean, I. I yeah, there's a lot about Western, the Western Weekly about that decision, and and uh, yeah, but um, dear listener, I'm, I'm with you. I have no idea what they're talking about, but uh, I'm sure we'll so, get through so this. Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Sorkin on the season four finale, uh, which he was leaving the show, wrote this like incredible sequence where um, a, a primary character gets kidnapped, and all, and the president has to give up his authority. Ne- never mind. I did. This is the only episode rival. of West Wing that I remember. So yeah. <laughs> there so, you go. <laughs> and there's 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 a theory that he just wrote this that it was a really difficult place for the other writers so to get out. Like... Yeah. Um, and and Take the that. the the writers for the fifth season say that and and Aaron Sorkin says that he it was it was a bunch of hooks so they could like pull whichever one they wanted and so they they were like yeah it was fun so anyway uh but yeah i can easily see aaron sorkin just being mad and being like here take that um (laughs) but um so so in in the second episode another change that occurs that's kind of a little bit more subtle is instead of filming on location in san francisco they're now actually filming on the paramount's lot new york set (laughs) it so looked like a set like it was so obvious the, the the first the first uh, episode da- is filmed in like a restored part of like old San Francisco, so it's kind of funny that they they the, the Paramount was basically like we just built this new set we want you to use it you should do that and so anyway they had to, and they also wanted this to be like a several episode arc where, uh they they like they, 
the, the crew spent several episodes in the past and one idea that would have been dropped was that they would the crew would meet at a cafe run by Picard where the running joke was how bad his food was. <laughs> I'm really glad they didn't do that. Gosh. Yeah, like I, 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 I loved these two episodes. I don't think I need it to be like a seven episode arc or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> um... Well, and I think there's not a ton to say about, like, the the conceit that the Picard and his crew pretend they're a theater troupe. There's a com- comedic element of Mrs. Carmichael who wants her rent and is Irish, uh, an Irish immigrant, apparently, to, uh, uh, to America who calls the captain Pickard, which is always funny. And, <laughs> but our crew quickly discovers that the aliens are in San Francisco, they are draining the life energy out of cholera patients because it can be easily attributed to, their deaths can be easily attributed to cholera, giving these aliens a uh, a, a, a diversion. So people don't realize what these aliens are doing. So you know, I have to jump to the um, to the hospital or the cholera ward scene just because this was one of my favorite moments in the episode. So you know, I think of when um, we watch uh, the the one with the whales, the movie with the whales, Voyage mm-hmm. Home, and McCoy is in the hospital, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe how they're you know this is like the the Middle Ages, the way they practice yeah. medicine. You know, he's commenting on that. Whereas uh, Beverly is more like, this is the Middle Ages, the way they talk to women. Like, <laughs> just the way, oh, yeah. the look on her face when the doctor's like, oh, nurse, can you do? And she's just like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know more than you do, dude. Well, and, <laughs> so. and, and she also seems to have, like, pretty accurate historical knowledge. Because, like, like, there's a patient who's suffering, and then she's just like, goes, mixes two random yes. bottles that aren't labeled, and just like, too. this will make you feel better. Like, apparently Beth Beverly knows what she's doing and isn't about to murder this dude. That's right, that's right. But I just love that. I mean, she just yeah. totally, she knows her stuff. She's just gonna roll her eyes at that dude that's gonna act like she wouldn't know her stuff because she's a little lady. And anyway, I just yeah. love her. No, and I, 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 I like when we get to actually see Beverly do stuff like that because, I, yeah, I, I feel like they... They kind of um, don't pay att- don't pay a whole lot of attention to her, and t- she's got really great moments throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I thought which that I was think fun. is totally attributable to Gates McFadden. Like I yeah. think that's that's yeah. her personality coming through because you know she wasn't yeah, G- about Gates to is a badass, and that's why that happens. <laughs> right, she is. <laughs> so uh, while we're talking about kind of the difference between the past and the future, um, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that is interesting is that this episode features two black characters in 1860s america uh or 1890s america yeah. post-civil war uh and this there is no racism at all displayed in this episode uh towards them and it's i don't know enough about san francisco in the 1890s to comment on that whether it's kind of a little bit of a whitewashed narrative to to, to portray it like that I think I understand where writers would be like, this is too heavy a topic to throw into a little bit of an action adventure romp like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might even have like very special episode vibes if they do it wrong. And of course this was, I mean, 1992 there. I feel like it's not as I think you're, you're more likely to throw something like that into an episode of Star Trek today than you might be back then. Or in Deep Space Nine. 
or in deep yeah. space. Because they don't, because like, and, and that's, I'm sure I am 100% sure that's Avery Brooks. Yeah. But, right. um, but like, he didn't let them get away with that. Like he wouldn't, he, he would make comments about it. Like if you're going to be having things in set in 1960s or the 1940s or whatever, like I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been welcome mm-hmm. there. So let's have a conversation right. about that, you know? So, yeah. And, and it just is like, it is kind of, I don't know, watching it today, it does strain credulity a little bit. Um, to see that, ha- like, Guinan and Jordy's experience being portrayed as it is, even though yeah, maybe yeah. we would wish that that is the way things would have been uh, back then. So I just wanted to, wanted to mention that real quick because um, yeah. that was part of my, my reaction to this episode. Um, and mo- moving on from uh, the the hospital scene just in but in just in general to the crew being back in the 1890s they all somehow acquire like period uh, appropriate clothes and stuff and i don't know where how that happens because it just happens like right like when we see them in the sec the second part they all have their clothes already yeah and is it so do you notice i i was noticing the women like constantly rubbing their ribs like oh my gosh this is horrendous what i have to be wearing right now and i'm looking at picard sit back in his chair like oh this is the most comfortable i've ever been on oh yeah yeah, five seasons yeah he's like finally i don't have to tug at my shirt every five (laughs) seconds because it's like riding and all the women are like oh my gosh this is terrible (laughs) because because they had corsets right on those dresses Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah okay I mean, I could see Will Riker just being like, you know, I'll have one of those for my police outfit as well. You know, just like <laughs> emphasize the chest a little bit. Uh, like and, a Gaston. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so they, they bust the aliens in the act at the hospital and then they have run-ins with the police all the while Mark Twain is like, meh, I'm going to stop you, meh. And, and I mean, they, they randomly run into Data. Like, I, I feel like the pacing is just right. There's no, like, yeah. it doesn't flag. Uh, it's not like, oh, we can't find Data and then the entire rest of the episode is them finding Data. It just, like, goes like boom, 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 boom. Yeah, um, yeah. In Discovery, there would have been like seven misdirections about like where is Data though, and uh, yeah, right. I, I I appreciate that this one just I don't know we we, we just we we move along we're just direct about things and it's uh, and and I I guess uh, th- this is like sl- slightly tangential but I I feel like um, like so much of this episode is mirroring how things happened in City on the Edge of Forever I. Uh, I uh, on the on like I, I think their explanation for uh for why Spock was was there and like had pointy ears and whatnot was that he was Chinese. Uh, I I, oh, I appreciated at least that the, that they changed the joke for Data and just like he's a, he's Frenchman, a Frenchman or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and then later they call him an albino man. Oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 also I think. It really worked for me when he gets test like because because you're like as a viewer you're like oh no he said he's French how much does he know about France and then like Frederick Laroque is like blah 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 French and Data's like here's my French and it all just works out it's yeah. brilliant uh, there's no like scene of the like anyway the, again yeah, the pacing yeah. is good the pacing in this episode in the writing is fantastic so. Um, we end up from there into the cave. There's again, no, like we have to find the cave. We're just in the cave now. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Mark Twain is there with a scored 45, um, to stop them. And, and I, I, I think it was, 
it was a little much when uh when he he kind of when he, when he started saying like you're probably wondering how many bullets i have left to be honest in the confusion i myself i kind of forgot myself so tell me do you feel lucky picard well do ya <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was, that was a little extra for them to put that in the script for Mark Twain, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) Mark Twain gets blown away when the aliens open the rift and he ends up in the future. Did anyone else not, how did Data's body end up there? So... Because I was a little confused by that. Yeah, I was 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 looking for someone... I was Go looking ahead. for someone carrying it, and there yeah. wasn't anyone carrying it, I don't think, but it's just there in the next scene. Yeah, because I watched every single person. I was, like, kind of noting who was... And I was, like, notating it, who went through the rift, and in what order they went through the rift. And then they get on the other side, and I was like, wait, what? Data's body's there? When does that? When did that happen? I Isn't, didn't see that happen. Is that because the rift opens where he is standing? Oh, it could be. Yeah, because his head does shoot up. So maybe it's like mm-hmm. his head shoots up, his body falls into the rift, kind of while we're not, okay. we're mostly paying attention to why his head is like flying away. Yeah, that could so be. So maybe that that's what be. happens. So it looks like the ophidian that he's holding, I'm watching this right now, it opens the rift, like, and the head flies away, but the rift is like on top of him. So like, I'm okay. pretty sure oh, he just okay. flies through it by default. Okay. Yeah, okay. I, I, I was definitely wor- like, along with Emily, I was like watching it and then worrying about like, wait. Is this is the last person going to be strong enough to like? Oh, no one picks him up, but also where is he? And, and then we just didn't mm-hmm. worry about it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm glad we have an explanation now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the other thing is that the the male Davidian just like he's like he checks on his like companion. He's like, oh, gotta go, and he just like <laughs> runs up, runs through without like trying to even save her. Um, conveniently leaving her to have a chat with Picard. But then, what y'all think of Mark Twain on the Enterprise? He was way better than he was in San Francisco. <laughs> Sonny was so annoying. Like the first couple times it was fine when he was in San Francisco. But then after a while, like especially when he ends up in the cave, I'm like, of course you're in the cave with them. Of course you are. Oh my gosh. You're well, so annoying. <laughs> and, and, and I think that uh, this actor playing Mark Twain what, did it a lot better than uh, DeForest Kelly playing Mark Twain uh, in the encounter at Farpoint. Uh, so I, I I just I, I feel like uh, it 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 was just fun and it fit. <laughs> yeah, he. So I mean, it's it's interesting because he's talking to Picard about the, or not Picard Troy about the future, and like how humanity becomes better and and um, that is kind of neat. Mm-hmm, I liked it. I liked how they were kind of outlining different things and you know like he keeps how he keeps pushing back on the things that she's sharing with him. He's like, mm-hmm. she's like, no, no, we really, that's not a problem anymore. Like, um, yeah. but, you know, and it makes sense. Like we, I mean, listen to us now. We can't believe we really have a hard time believing another way is possible. And that's how, that's why Star Trek has gotten darker. I feel like yeah. because the longer we're all living in this world, we're like, yeah, there's no hope. Star Trek isn't real. And so now all our Star Trek has made a dark turn. <laughs> yeah it's um it it, like yeah i i I feel like there's a um it was interesting hearing it because definitely it was written as all of the things that he's saying like that uh, the rich are are built on the backs of the poor and whatever like we're supposed to be thinking of right now also and uh i i I felt as it was a 
it, it was a good explanation, and I like that Troy is the one uh, telling him about the future, because um, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I think she's a she's a good person to sort of have as the the vision for like, what if we cared about people more, and what if we like got past our differences and and whatnot. Um, yeah. I do. I mean, it does for me strain a little bit of credulity that Mark Twain would go back to the past and not tell anybody anything of what's happened to him. Uh, you know, being on the bridge of a starship. Uh, it just is it, a little too much. But again, because it's just such a fun little romp, I was like, all right, yeah, let's I, not get hung up. I, I feel like they signal at least that that's going to be his attitude of like not talking about it since he's like thought he thoughtfully puts his watch like back on the ground because he knows that it's found in the future so right. he, i think maybe they're what they want us to be thinking is like oh he's he's aware that if he's going to screw up the timeline if he like reveals anything but i also appreciated that like no one needed to like say like okay mr clemens like we're here's the temporal prime directive and you need to read all of these paragraphs mm -hmm. be, uh, or we're going to send um seven of nine from the future to kill you uh <laughs> to resolve it but yeah maybe the temporal like police episode, came she in. gets to wear a regular uniform anyway sorry. yeah they're therefore the best one of the best episodes of uh voyager and i wish that they had <laughs> uh pulled a uh a, a troy and let right. her wear it the rest of the series but whatever right, right. the I think that the way that it all gets resolved is very neat and tidy. And it's clear that they were just like, all right, let's just end the episode. Everything's back to normal. We're all yeah. fine now. It is kind of funny mm -hmm. that Data now has a 500-year-old head. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, yeah. the prop that was used for that was um, was used again in another episode of TNG. And then finally was used as a Borg head in Unimate, the Voyager episode, Unimatrix Zero. Oh really? Yeah. So it's used. In, <laughs> so the episode it's used in is Phantasms, the TNG episode Phantasms, and then it's used in Unimatrix Zero very notably uh, as one of the Borg heads that Voyager finds. So it's kind of neat, and um, it's I don't know. I I finished this episode and I was just like, I was it was it made me think like, oh yeah, way back in part one there was like a serious point to this, and there was like you know the, there was there was some like serious philosophical stuff, but again it was just otherwise I was just like. Yeah, that was a good time. That was just fun. And I don't regret sitting and watching this two hours of TNG uh, back to back. And I feel like if I had mm -hmm. been waiting six months for TNG to come back, I'd have been like, yeah, I don't regret that. That was a, that was a fun ending to this to this uh, cliffhanger. Yeah, and, and I think uh, sort of like the, the one that, that gets me is the... Um, I've forgotten the name of it now, but the where we see the Nova-class ship in Voyager that we, we watched... Um, uh, where they they're harvesting the alien bodies and using it for their Equinox. warp drive. Equinox. Yeah, yeah, Equinox. Uh, Equinox. Uh, because it, for that one, I the, there's such a stark contrast between episode one and episode two, where uh, yeah, and it, and it was similarly like they didn't know how to resolve that episode, and like the first one, they just kind of like half-assed the entire thing and accidentally made a good episode of Star Trek, mm -hmm. and um, but I I appreciate that. This one, I, I think it, it fits together really well as a whole. Like, it's not, even if there was a corner that they wrote themselves into, I think Jerry Taylor pulled them out of it pretty well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, with that, I'm just going to real quick look to see if there's anything else that I want to wanna share with you. The, the one note is that the actor who plays the reporter is Alexander Enberg, who played uh, Torek on Lower Decks and uh, also played recurring character Vorik 
on uh, and on Doric on the the TNG episode Lower Decks. Sorry, not the series. Lower oh, Decks. okay. Yeah, and, and, Vorik, and then he's on Voyager. Yeah, as, right. as a very similar looking Vulcan named Vorik. Yeah, and he's actually the son of Jerry Taylor and oh, Dick Hamburg. So yeah, little 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 uh, uh, parallel there for you. Uh, Mark Twain. Is Lower Decks a season six episode? I think or so. Season seven. I can't remember. Um, I feel like it's seven. Season six. But I don't know. Let me let me pull that up real quick and tell you season seven episode fifteen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Mark- oh, it's the first duty is the season six episode I think, mm-hmm. and then uh, anyway, because that's the it, they kind of reference each other. There, Mark Twain wrote a book in 1889, four years before this episode takes place, uh, called A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. It's about time travel, obviously. And there was a 1998 movie called A Night in Camelot, which is an adaptation of this uh, book starring Whoopi Goldberg. As guy oh, named Billy. <laughs> <laughs> and on this topic, then, I want to I ask about something with Guinan, which is that Picard, when he's asked about Guinan's relationship with him, says it goes far beyond friendship. And yeah. I was wondering what y'all thought about that. I think I'm mad that we never got that story. Yeah. Like, and, what does that mean? Well, <laughs> I mean, it, I what I feel like it, like Picard was trying to say, like, we do it in the future, but um, <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I, I don't know. The, 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 the other thing that I that I got out of this episode is, like, Guinan is one of my favorite characters in TNG. She's such a good and, character. And, like, we we needed to have some serious Guinan. Go- I guess we had some serious Guinan in, uh, in Generations. But I, I, I feel like there was, uh, like, we we need to, I, I, I don't know. It, she was un- underutilized and, and mm-hmm. was a, a, like, a lot of episodes it was more like a, she was there to be, like, I sense Q is here. Uh, and then like doing a, when Q appears or whatever, but like, it's, um, I, I, I don't know that they, yeah, that, that relationship that they hinted at, it, it sounded really compelling. And I, and then I kind of wanted to like throw the, the Beverly Picard story in the trash and like, let's see the Guinan and Picard story. Like th- this is, uh, I don't know. I think that would have been good. And she is going to be in Picard now. Um, yeah um, maybe yeah. they'll explore it there yeah so i don't know i mean it is but it was it was very yeah it was it seemed kind of it it i don't know the way patrick Stewart played it played it it was uh it seemed like hinting at a romantic relationship let's mm-hmm. put it that way rather than it being some sort of profound connection that go like that is familial so um it, i i i I also appreciated, I guess, her presence in this episode. I think it was, I mean, you mm-hmm. talked about how you like Guinan, but I think she was the right character and it was kind of a neat neat usage of lore to be like, oh yeah, she's this like character who's, who's this, you know, lived through all of time. So of course she'd be mm-hmm. there and like know Mark Twain. It was pretty neat. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, dear listener, First Duty is a season five episode, not a season six episode. So you don't need to send your email to us to correct me. <laughs> All right, there you go. Okay, well, uh, that's all I had for you. So if y'all don't have anything else to talk about, we can 
move on to strange new ratings. Which of you would like to stick your necks out and give Times Arrow a rating? I mean, I, I think I'll just go right out there. Like, this one was just enjoyable. It, it, it even had, like, even the parts of Star Trek that are bad was good here and i think it's it served a, a purpose like the the techno babble turned off your brain at just the right moment and uh then the rest of it was just like a cool fun ride um so this one gets a 10 for me all wow right. all right all right there you go well i'm gonna give this one a 3.5 because they like tease out this guinan picard thing that never gets followed through <laughs> So while right. I, it's an enjoyable episode and I enjoy watching it and, you know, it was it was kind of fun because I couldn't remember exactly how they resolved it. So it was fun to watch it and, and see, you know, how Data's head gets put back on his body. Um, but but I just I'm I feel very disappointed and let down that I never got the Picard Guinan story. So we need a, an Imzadi type book, but for right. Guinan and Picard, like Peter great. David, get on it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I um. I'm gonna go with an eight. I did. I I did think there were some flaws in this episode's writing, uh, especially the techno babble, of course. And there were a few things that I didn't quite like, but it's rewatchable. It's fun. It's one of those ones that has like a a lot of really good stuff in it. So it's solid eight for me, uh, and and that's yeah. I think that's just fine. Well, uh, dear listener, we have again this week not picked out an episode for our next uh, time travel series. So I'm going to I'm going to pitch one to my uh, colleagues here and see if they like it and and see how they feel about this. Adam, you have nominated a whole bunch of episodes on this spreadsheet. I'm going to pick one at random from Enterprise. So dear listener, watch Twilight from Enterprise, the eighth episode of the third season. That's the one that we're going to cover next week. So... Um, with that, thank you, Emily. Thank you, Adam, for being here. As always, I really enjoy the chance to speak Star Trek with you each week. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Notch. Thanks for hosting us, like, literally every single time. Yeah, it's great fun. I, I This is the favorite part of my week. And uh, thank <laughs> you, dear listener, for joining us and listening to us. We always appreciate you being out there sharing this podcast with your friends and uh do share, feel free to reach out to us on social media and let us know what you think and thanks to Shuguha for recording our theme music and uh special thanks to the borg apparently uh is what it says on my notes here i don't know who put that there <laughs> but <laughs> i i think you, you said special thanks to the borg last week and that's why it's there <laughs> okay that's probably why oh yeah because the borg were, were responsible for some of the tech well, that you we know, we'll, we'll thank them again this week why not why not you know the borg underappreciated uh they're just such big villains. No one stops to thank them for their work, so we'll do that again. And, and we have a head in this episode that ends up being a Borg head later, so special thanks to yeah. the Borg yet again. Thank you, Mr. Borgs. Uh, all right. That's it for this week, everybody. See you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.